Welcome, glad you're here. We're going to be uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 13, and no, this is not a wedding. I know that's typically the, the time we go to 1 Corinthians 13 to read those, those beautiful verses about love. That's where we'll be this morning. As you turn there, um, just a quick announcement for the men in the room. Sorry, ladies, you're not invited. Um, the men are getting together. We're going to have a little breakfast next Saturday on June the 1st at 8 a.m. And so the reason we're doing this is because during the, the, the majority of our year, we're doing community group ministry, we're doing men's and women's ministry, we're getting together a lot in small groups, but in the summer, we take a break, and so taking a break from community groups and from Bible studies and men's ministry and women's ministry gives us the opportunity to get together and do something. So we're going to get together, men, and have breakfast June the 1st, 8 a.m. We won't be meeting here because we don't have a space to do this, so we're actually uh, borrowing space from the hills of Wind Ridge subdivision just down the road here on our website you can get the, the directions but you can also register to let us know because a we want to make sure we have enough food because I don't know if you're like me I like to eat some breakfast but b we don't want to show up and have 32 pounds of bacon and one biscuit okay so we got to we got to sign up to make sure we get the right food there and so please go online and sign up for that men um, I would say this if you're new here and uh, and you're a little bit apprehensive about showing up for something like this let me just encourage you to take that step um, of, of getting out of your comfort zone, showing up for breakfast, I promise you, you will not regret it. Um, spending some time with the men in this church uh, who will be so happy to see you. So I hope you'll, you'll meet us men next Saturday morning, 8 a.m., Hills of Wind Ridge, all right? So um, we're continuing our sermon series on spiritual gifts, titled The Gifts of the Spirit. Uh, today we are gonna be in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And so the, really the first half of this sermon series, we spent a lot of time uh, identifying spiritual gifts, um, talking about how those spiritual gifts work together in a practical way to build up the church. Now on the back end of the series, uh, we're talking about the foundations for these gifts and how um, these gifts come together for the common good. And last week, we looked at that word in the Greek language, how we translate it into common good, but it really means that we're better together, right? So like individually, we all have um, the opportunity to walk with Christ in a personal way. You have a personal uh, prayer life. You have a personal time with the Lord. You can pray to him. You can hear from him. You can be guided by him. You can be transformed by him. That is true, and that is good. However, what we're, we're learning is that we're actually better together, that when we come together, uh, we come together in a, a beautiful reflection of Christ and our strengths and weaknesses coming together. And you bring your spiritual gifts, and I bring my spiritual gifts, and I serve you with my gifts, and you serve me with your gifts and the church grows and is edified, and we truly are better together. And so this week, what we're gonna be looking at is how our spiritual gifts are rooted in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's get started. Verse one, Paul's continuing his teaching on spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
So Paul, as he begins to talk about our spiritual gifts and how important it is that our gifts, the way we serve one another, the way we've been supernaturally gifted by God to serve one another must be rooted in love. He gives us this illustration of a clanging cymbal. And what he's saying is that your spiritual gifts given to you by God as amazing as they are, if they're not rooted in love and you attempt to serve somebody with that gift, again, not rooted in love, it's gonna be like a clanging cymbal going off in their ear. You're not gonna benefit them, right? It's gonna be no benefit to them. It's not gonna be any benefit to you. It will gain you nothing and ultimately you will be nothing. So our gifts have to be rooted in love. Now, it's so important in our day and time that we stop and talk about what we mean by the word love, right? Probably the most overused word in the English language and and probably one of the most misunderstood words in the English language in the way that we apply that to marriages and the way we apply that to friendship and to food and to pets and to hobbies and to my job and all the things that I love, right? We need some help here. What do we mean when we talk about our spiritual gifts being rooted in love. Is it the same kind of love I have for chocolate? Is it the same kind of love I have for my wife? What what do we mean by love? And so Paul is going to now define love for us. Verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, most of us have heard those verses spoken about in weddings, right? That's, you go to a wedding, you hear, love is patient, love is kind, and we ap- apply it to marriages. Now, it, it is applicable to marriages, but in context, Paul isn't talking about marriage, is he? He's talking about the relationship between us as Christians, as church members. And that's where he's applying these verses. Last week, we talked about all the parallels between the relationship between a husband and a wife and the relationship between members of the body of Christ, Right? How the same way that in a marriage we're in these deep abiding covenant relationships with one another, so we are in the church, right? Not this easy come, easy go, if, I, if you make me mad, I'm out of here kind of mentality when it comes to church, right? Where we have the, the, the ripcord ready to pull it and pull the parachute and just bail the moment we get uncomfortable or the moment that we, somebody rubs us the wrong way or we don't like so-and-so or the moment we get offended. So we talked about that last week, how our relationships with one another have been orchestrated by God, ordained by God, right? Knitted together by God. And so now here, these verses, while they do apply to marriage, he's specifically talking about our relationship to one another. So you hear all kinds of things about love, what love is and what love isn't. Um, Some will say, well, love is not a feeling, which I agree with wholeheartedly. However, Love is not void of feelings, okay? It's not void of emotion, but the Bible gets to define the emotion associated with real love, 
Because see, we associate emotions like affection and attraction and romance. Those are the emotions we typically attach to the word love, right? I love you. I mean, I'm attracted to you. I, I feel all warm and fuzzy inside when I'm around you. That's what we mean. And Paul says, no, it's not void of emotion, but God defines the emotions. Here are the feelings that come with love. Love feels patient. Love feels kindness. Love feels humble. Love feels joyful when it finds truth. Love feels a deep sense of long suffering towards others. Love feels hopeful. So love is not void of emotion or feeling, but at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is that love is defined by what it does and doesn't do. It's not defined by emotions. It's defined by what it does and doesn't do. I don't know if you caught on to the pattern of the words here, but according to this definition of love, love is always pointed somewhere else other than itself, isn't it? Every one of those descriptions is about your relationship with someone else. So, right, so for me to be loving, right, I've got to be, that love has to be directed towards somebody besides me, right? There has to be somebody in my life to be patient with before I can, before I can exhibit patience. Like, that's got to be pointed at somebody. There's somebody that has to be in my life who needs kindness before I can love them in that way and be kind towards them. On all these descriptions, love is pointed somewhere. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure we don't get out of this sermon series, especially last week, is that while the Holy Spirit unites us together in harmony and orchestration and, and unity and builds us up together as a church, what we don't mean is that a unified church is void of conflict. Okay, that's not what we mean. Right? There's not this utopia version of church out there where we all come in and drink our giggly juice and we just love each other and we always get along. Matter of fact, be, be, beware of that church, okay? Beware of that church. I, I say this, um, I think I've said this in every wedding I've ever done to a couple. We're up here and we're getting married and we're exchanging vows and, and it's time to like to seal the deal. I would typically turn to this this bride and this groom and say, listen guys, I want you to understand something. A successful marriage is not void of conflict. A marriage that's void of conflict didn't last very long, right? What a successful marriage is the ability to walk through conflict in unity, work through it, grow through it, right? And become stronger for it, but not void of it. If you never get to conflict, your relationship is on the surface. And so now apply that to church when we talk about being a unified body of Christ coming together and building one another up, we are not talking about void of conflict. We're talking about the ability to walk through conflict in unity and humility to work those things out. So we have conflict. There are times where we have to say hard things to one another, right? Just like marriage. Sometimes you need to have hard conversations with the people you love. And we're, we're called to love one another, so that means we're probably gonna have to have some hard conversations. I'm gonna offend you, you're gonna offend me, I'm gonna get on your nerves, you're gonna get on my nerves, right? We're gonna, we're gonna mess up, why? Because we have, we have flesh in the game, okay? Now, here's what I want you to hear, though. 
The scriptures call us to have those conversations to share the truth in what? In love. So here Paul is saying, you know what that looks like? Confrontation with kindness. Confrontation with humility. Not confrontation out of irritation. (laughs) That's what happens in marriage a lot, right? You get irritated and you're like, it's on. We're gonna talk, have a seat, we're gonna talk. And so our conflict comes out of our irritation. That's not love, right? He just said, right? Love is, is not irritable or resentful. And so while we realize that as a church, if we're really gonna walk in real relationships with one another, we're gonna have conflict, right? We don't enter into that conflict out of irritation or resentment towards one another. One of my favorite biblical descriptions and expressions of love comes from 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 17. Now, most of you are familiar with John 3, 16. For God so that he gave his only begotten son, right? So we're familiar with that one. The same author also wrote some small letters to the church. They're at the end of your Bible. And in 1 John 3, 16 and 17, he defines love for us. He says, by this we know love. So he's saying, listen church, here's how you'll know what love is. By this we know love, that he, which is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John is saying love is really defined by sacrifice, right? And and however much you love something will be determined by how much you're willing to do what? Sacrifice for it. If you love your hobby, you will sacrifice for your hobby. This is where you insert elbow wives, right? You give up for it. You give up whatever, whether it's budget or time or energy, you give yourself to the things you love. So John is saying, listen, love is measured by sacrifice. And then in verse 17, he goes on to make it practical. He says, here's what I mean by that. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So love is measured by sacrifice. We see this in Jesus. He says, so as Christians, we ought to be willing to lay our lives down for one another. Now, nobody in this room has been nailed to a cross for somebody yet, right? So he says, practically speaking, here's what it looks like. You live yourself in daily sacrifice for others. You see your brother and sister in need, if you turn your back on them, if you shut yourself off to them, right, God's love is not in you. That's not love. Love is a sacrificial commitment that is directed towards the object that you love. Whether it's your spouse, your kids, your pets, your hobby, your job, whatever it is, we'll know because there'll be a sacrificial commitment directed towards it. Love is the sacrificial, sacrificial, sacrificial commitment that is directed towards the object of your love. Now let's insert self for a minute because this is what gets in the way of the whole thing, loving self. Jesus talks about love when he's asked about the greatest commandments. So Jesus responds to this question by saying, here's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is he saying, right? Direct your self-sacrifice towards God. Make a self-sacrificial commitment towards God, everything that you are. But then he says, but the second's like it. What does he say? Love 
your neighbor as yourself. What is assumed in that statement? That we already love ourselves. He's not commanding you to love yourself. He's saying, listen, take that love you have for self and point it somewhere else. Start with God, point it at God, right? And then after that, point it out towards your neighbors and start loving God and loving neighbors the same way you love yourself. This is why Paul gives us the list of things that we can't even begin to fulfill until we start loving somebody besides ourselves. We need, we need somebody to be patient with, to be kind towards. Now, now Paul's gonna go on and continue writing about love in verse eight. Again, this is in the context of spiritual gifts. Verse eight, first three words. Let's do this together. This will be fun. Say this with me. Love never ends. Really good start, but let's try it one more time. Love never ends. Okay. Don't come up to me and say, you know what? I just fell out of love. I, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Because here's what I'll say in, in, in kindness. In kindness, right? I'll say, listen, I believe you that you don't feel emotionally about him or her like you used to. I believe you. But I don't believe that you've fallen out of love. Because why? Because love never ends. Love isn't something we fall into and out of. Right, those emotions come and go, the romance comes and goes, the attraction comes and goes and sometimes never comes back. But love doesn't come and go. Real love stays. It endures is what Paul says. And here he says, listen, church, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Then he gives us an illustration. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, speaking about the future, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is what? Love. The greatest is love. Why is the greatest love? Well, think about it. In eternity, you won't need faith or hope anymore, will you? right? Everything that you'd hoped for will be there. Everything that you had faith in will be there, but love will remain. Now, in this last section in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says really, two really important things. The first thing he says is your spiritual gifts are temporary, okay? So your spiritual gifts are temporary. They're here for you to serve the church while you're here on earth in this life. You're not taking those bad boys to heaven, right? So your spiritual gift of prophecy, not needed in eternity. Your spiritual gift of teaching, not needed in eternity. There's gonna be a better teacher there, by the way. Your spiritual gift of hospitality, as amazing and fabulous as it is, and I believe people are gifted with hospitality. 
in a way that when they exercise that hospitality, it leads people to Jesus. Listen, we won't need your hospitality in heaven. The angels will take care of that, right? So our spiritual gifts are temporary. They're about this life. They're about God arranging us in the church so we can serve one another and build one another up. But our spiritual gifts are not eternal. And why is he pointing that out? Because what does he, he contrasts that with love, which is eternal. Did you catch that? Spiritual gifts are not eternal. Love is. Why is that important? Here's why that matters. Whatever is temporary must submit itself to that which is eternal. My gifts that I use to serve you and your gifts that you use to serve me, as I said earlier, will not be needed in eternity, but we need each other in eternity. You, you with me? Our gifts won't be there, but our relationship will. Because we're walking in this covenant relationship with one another, secured by Christ, right? And so what Paul is saying is, listen, these gifts are given to you as a tool to serve one another, but what really matters is the relationship underneath. That's what matters, not your gift. So proud of you with your gift of hospitality and teaching. That's awesome. Let me tell you what really matters, the way you love one another the relationship that you have with one another. That's what those gifts are for. They're to serve one another. But not only are our gifts temporary, look at what he says, our spiritual gifts are also not perfect. Did you catch that? They're not perfect. They're partial, not fully realized. Why? Because, I'm gonna say this as nice as I can, because you and I still have sin in the game. We still have flesh to battle through. We're still working out this process of not loving ourselves anymore. And it's a process, isn't it? Right, there's still flesh in the game. And so Paul, he uses this illustration of when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The mistake to make with that illustration is to think that Paul is now saying that he's a spiritual man, he's not. He's actually saying, we're all still spiritual children. We're not there yet. In the same way a boy will one day grow and become a man, right? So shall we in a spiritual sense, but we're all children. Well, why are we children, Paul? And he says it right there. Well, because right now we see in part. One day we'll see fully. One day we will see Jesus face to face, behold his glory, and everything will be changed. But right now, we behold the glory of Jesus like looking into a mirror dimly. Now think about that. Let me just help you wrap your mind around what he's saying. So for you as a human being to step into the presence of God and his majesty and his holiness and to behold his glory fully, unveiled, there's only two options. One, strike down dead. Number two, you're made like him. Okay, those are the only two options. Struck down dead, made perfectly holy like him. Now, I'm looking around the room, right? We have not fully beheld the glory of Christ yet. We've seen him in part. He's working on us, right? But because we have not fully been transformed into the image of Christ, we still have this sin struggle and, it, and it, it's a wrestling match. It impacts our spiritual giftings with one another. How do you know how do you know where you still have sin in the game? This is gonna be helpful. Maybe you wanna take some notes here. I'm talking about you and I don't even really know you. Here's how you will know where you still have sin in the game. I'm just gonna read the Bible, okay? 
wherever you are impatient, wherever you struggle to be kind, wherever you struggle with envy or boasting, wherever you find yourself being arrogant or rude, wherever you find yourself insisting on your own way, wherever you find yourself irritable or resentful, wherever you find yourself rejoicing in wrongdoings, wherever you find yourself not bearing all things or believing all things or hoping in all things or enduring in all things, there you will find your struggle with sin. What irritates you? That's where your sin struggle is. What makes you mad? What makes you resentful? What makes you envious? Right, so what Paul is saying is, listen, church, our spiritual gifts are not perfected yet. We need to be cautious. We need to root these things in love. Otherwise, we're gonna irritate one another. We're gonna envy one another. We're gonna get on each other's nerves. We're gonna hurt one another. Show me a person in the church who loves themselves more than others, and I will show you a wake of destruction. A wake of broken relationships, frustrations, hurt feelings, division. Show me a person who's loving self more than they love God and love others, and I will show you somebody who's wreaking havoc on the body of Christ. I don't care what their spiritual gifts are. This is what Paul's saying. You might as well be a clanging symbol in the church. It's about how useful you'll be if it's not rooted in love. I wanna challenge you with something that Jesus said. We read these verses often. It's John 13, 34 and 35. And again, you may wanna jot this note down. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And here's where it gets convicting. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. I was driving through uh, North Dallas yesterday with my family and the boys were in the back seat and we were on the side of town with some really large churches and we were playing find the church and we were locating church buildings by the big tall steeples. It was just a section of Dallas where like you could see like eight huge churches and you knew they were church buildings because of the steeples. Now, steeples are a fantastic way to locate a church building, but they were a lousy way to find the church. They're a lousy way to determine where God's people are. Now, hopefully, God's people are meeting in the building that has the steeple, but the steeple doesn't necessarily mean that God's people are there. Jesus said, you wanna know how to find God's people? The world will know you by the way you love one another. Think about that. The hallmark of being God's children is the way the world out there sees us loving one another. So, Throughout this sermon series, we spent a lot of time talking about gifts, what our gifts are, how these gifts work together. But maybe for you, the, 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 the biggest thing that you would take away from this entire sermon series has to do with relationships in the church and where you are in your relationships with other church members. Listen, I wanna, I wanna say something that I feel like the scriptures compel me to say, and I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings or make anybody mad. Okay, so just understand that. But here's what I need to say. If you think that being a part of the church is only 
showing up on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, high-fiving, shaking hands, and then going home and having no other contact with other Christians until the next weekend, listen, it's not gonna work. Try that in your marriage. Yeah, you get married on Sunday, you spend an hour and a half together, you cut the cake, you take the pictures, you hug, you kiss, and then you say, see you next Sunday. We'll meet again for another hour and a half, right? How's that gonna go? Well, now, for everybody that doesn't know, when they see you together, they're gonna be like, oh, you have the best marriage ever. You're all giggly and cuddly and holding hands. It looks like y'all are never mad at each other. You're like, we're not. We never get on each other's nerves. We're never mad at each other. I'm never irritated with her. I always put the toilet seat down. I get it right every week for an hour and a half. Right? So the reality is you, that's not love, right? You need the frustration of Monday morning to truly love. You need the opportunity to be irritated before you can love from a biblical perspective. You need to be tempted to be impatient before you can let the love of Christ work on your heart and compel you to be patient. Are you with me? So it wouldn't work in marriage. It certainly won't work in the church either to truly live out these biblical descriptions of what it means to love. You've gotta be willing to get below the surface to step into what we call the church in real time, okay? Now listen, I know it's risky and scary for some to think about that. I was talking with a church member last Sunday and she was sharing a little bit of her story with me about what Jesus has done in her life and I was just blown away. I said, you gotta share this with the church. You know what she said? I can't do that, they'll kick me out. Like, whoa! Now, how many of us have that perspective that I don't want to step into the life of the church and be known because I'm afraid you won't like me. I'm afraid you'll reject me. I'm afraid you won't love me if you really know how dark I used to be. If you really knew my struggles, like even this morning, I'm afraid you wouldn't love me. To which we go back to the word of God that defines love for us. You can't be loved fully unless you are fully known. You hear me? You cannot love fully or be loved fully unless you are fully known. Right now, listen, this is funny. I I think think it's funny. There are things about me that irritate you, but you don't know what they are because we don't spend enough time together. I'm telling you, there are things about you that get on my nerves. I just don't know what they are, right? Because we don't spend enough time together. But this kind of description of biblical community means we're walking together, life on life, living life together in such a way where you get to find out what it is about me that irritates you. But remember, love never ends, it endures all things, right? So you don't bail. You bring it to me, you say, Jason, that's really irritating when you do that. And I say, you know what, you're right. I'm gonna work on not doing that anymore because I love you. And we have hard conversations, we work through hard stuff together. I wanna ask, I'm gonna end with these questions straight out of what we just read. And I wanna encourage you to just take some relational inventory right now, okay? When I talk about relationships, I'm talking about relationships in your immediate family. If you're married, I mean in your marriage. If you're a parent, I mean relationships with your children. I also mean your other relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's just take some, some relational inventory right now. 
So love is patient and kind. So I want you to ask yourself this. Have I been walking in patience and kindness towards other members of the church? Love does not envy or boast. Have I been walking in humility towards other members of the church? Love is not arrogant or rude. Have I been harboring arrogance towards other members of the church? In other words, thinking more of myself than I should? Love does not insist on its own way. Have you been holding on to the idol of being right towards other members of the church? Maybe in your own household? Love is not irritable or resentful. Have you been harboring any resentment towards any other Christians? Love is not resentful. Have you been harboring on, excuse me, have you been harboring any resentment? Have you, have you been holding on to any irritation? Are you irritated with anybody right now in the church? It's becoming really practical, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to wear a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus and I love my neighbor. This is hard work. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Are you more focused on others' wrongdoings, their failures, their weaknesses, rather than looking at what Jesus is doing in their life, the transformation that's happening, the good things? In other words, are you holding hypercritical perspectives towards people, or are you seeing the good that God's doing? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I just wonder, have you truly been bearing with one another? hoping with one another, walking in endurance, not giving up with one another. See, here's the reality. How we engage in using our spiritual gifts should reflect a testimony of the way that Jesus loves us. When you're using your gifts in the church, people outside the church should be able to see the love of Christ in the way you serve, in your hospitality, in your teaching, in your gift of knowledge, in your gift of wisdom, in your gift of service in your gift of healing, in your gift of mercy, in your gift of tongues. We'll talk about tongues next week. But in your use of spiritual gifts, right, your love for one another should be evident. And it should be a reflection of the way Christ loves us. I want to, uh, I want to conclude right now just by saying, here's a couple of takeaways that I want you to think about. Um, if first of all, if you're new to the church and you're like, I kind of still feel like I'm on the outside looking in, I don't know how to get involved, or maybe you're nervous or apprehensive about that, you know, maybe for you today is to take that step of faith and go, oh, here goes nothing. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pull back the facade and let people get to know me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to that men's breakfast. You know, that might be a big step for you, right? I'm gonna go to this women's conference. I'm gonna go to this Bible study. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step and let people get to know me. Hey, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, second of all, you may have taken that step like 10 years ago and you're like part of this church, part of this biblical community, but maybe in that spiritual inventory time, you realize that maybe there's some broken relationships that need to be dealt with. So for you, takeaway is you leave here and you get on the phone and you call somebody. Hey, can we have, can we have lunch this week? Can we have coffee this week? Can we meet together? I just need to, just need to share my heart with you. Maybe you're holding on to some kind of hurt that somebody has, has done against you or Maybe you know that you've hurt somebody, but you're just kind of standing there in pride, waiting on them to come to you. Hey, go, let's do that, okay? But finally, and certainly not the least, if you're here today and you've not taken that step of faith, 
to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that invitation is on the table right now. You don't have to be good to earn it. You don't have to be good to pay it back. Jesus says, here, take what I'm offering and it's yours. You want forgiveness for your sins? Here it is. Just believe in me. If you believe in me, it's yours, done. You want eternity with me? Done. Take a step of faith to trust in Jesus. If that's you, I'm gonna pray in a minute that you'll make that decision today. Um, we've got some baptisms coming up, super excited about that, and then after that, we're gonna sing, and when we do, I'm gonna encourage you to grab one of our prayer partners. Say, listen, will you talk to me more about becoming a Christian today? So however God's spoken to you, I'm just gonna pray. Um, God would give you the courage and faith to act on it, and uh, then we're gonna transition to a time of baptism. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for this very convicting message today from 1 Corinthians 13. God, it is not a lighthearted thing to think about love measured in sacrifice. And God, there truly has never been a greater expression of love than what Jesus did for us, God. And we do not take that lightly. And God, we read in the scriptures today how you are clearly commanding us to bend that love out towards one another. Before we ever begin to serve one another with our gifts, God, that our relationships must be rooted in self-sacrificial love. And Father, I pray for any person here that doesn't know you, God, that today would be the day of taking that step of faith to trust in you, to become a Christian, and to see this amazing work begin in their life. So Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.